This is episode 82 with Bevan James Isle. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Bevan James Isles is a fitness coach, Ironman athlete, author, podcaster, and all-round genuine legend. He's been working in the fitness industry for almost two decades, and I highly respect and value his community ethos and movement is medicine type approach to help people get active, active and moving to improve their quality of life, not just to be elite athletes. This episode isn't just about fitness. But I do kick it off asking about what fitness behaviors mean to him because that's what he does best and there's some great perceptions and ideas that can help all of us. But the real gold comes when Bevan shares his story of his first 20 years of his life and all of his addictions, habits and simple things he couldn't do like reading or writing and then you look at what he's achieved in the past 20 years of his life And you'll be inspired to take action and give yourself a bit of a kick in the butt and take that action that is required for us all to live more true to ourselves and fulfill our own potential. I believe that Bevan is a great example that we as humans are mostly limited by our belief systems, not our external environments. And in this episode, we discuss three epiphanies that Bevan had that completely changed his life why he believes that his real job as a fitness professional is to be a community leader, how we can all learn fitness behaviors to improve our quality of life, how he teaches belief, why small wins are crucial for personal development, and his Robin Hood approach to help bridge the movement and fitness gap in lower socioeconomic areas of his home country of New Zealand, and so much more that we cover. Now, before we hear from Bevan, I'm grateful to read another iTunes review from you legendary listeners. This one is titled, Thanks Legend. It says, just spent 20 minutes watching the most incredible sunrise at Mooloolaba Beach, listening to Brett and Rach Nalen. Every week, Brett's podcast fills me with so much hope, inspiration and gratitude. The short shows are a perfect way to start the day on my 10-minute drive to work. Keep up the incredible work, Brett. And that's from Bawley2040 from Australia. Well, thanks, Bawley. You're a legend. And I uh, I got a lot of value from Rach Nalen's episode. And I know you did. I just realized I know the beautiful Mooloolabar Beach very well. And just realized you've actually tagged us on social media, listening to some episodes uh, up around that way. So thank you for not just sharing your feedback and review but also tagging us on social media where you've listened to an episode and as always for everyone else if you truly do value the podcast like Bawley and the other 87 legends who have now taken the time to jump onto iTunes 
and give that rating and review. So please do, if you do truly value it, jump on there, give your rating and review and it, you know, I say it all the time but it literally does help keep this show alive and, and allows us to keep impacting in the way that it has been. Also, be sure to tag us on social media at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E-F-O-R-X-L-N-S wherever you're listening to an episode or what you've learned from an episode. I love seeing where people are listening to it all around the world. Now, just a quick note about opportunities for you legends in the community to continually enhance your learning and inspirational journey. Depending on when you're listening to this episode will depend on what we're offering in regards to our mental strength training online program, our in-person events and the one-on-one coaching and the one-on-one coaching is online and available in person. So highly recommend jump on to yourlifeofimpact.com and check out all your options on learning from me, my community and some other special guests and professionals in different areas. We're working to provide you, our value community, with great opportunities to nourish your personal development and empower you with the tools to live a greater quality of life. So jump onto yourlifeofimpact.com and see what's available to you there. We've got some really exciting adventures coming up. Now let's hear from the legend himself, Bevan James Isles. So Bevan, what does the term fitness behaviours mean to you? Um, a good place to start. So uh, when I started my career, I was always fascinated with, I love this idea of the person who exercises has a love of exercise for life. You know, you, 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 know, you, you see the person who's in their 70s and they, they, they're not in a moment of a fad of fitness. You know, they've literally done exercise their whole life. I think of like some legends, like in New Zealand, there's a guy called Peter Snell, who was one of the greatest Olympians New Zealand's had. And he's always on the news and he's just gone to the, you know, the the games and he's playing ping pong, you know, and he's like, because he can't run anymore. But And I just love the idea of the person who has a lifetime love of exercise and you know, in my world, you see a few things. You see the person who never exercises, and then you see the person who's kind of what we call the in and out person, who have moments of exercise, and then you see the person who just will always have exercise. And and why? How does that person get created? And what is? Why does that person exist? And how did that happen? And often, what they've created is just a really great set of behaviours. And so, for me, as I kind of started to think about this early in my career, it was kind of well, what are those behaviours? You know, and then how can we kind of teach those to everyday people so that we can get more people moving? Because I fundamentally believe your life is better if you're moving. Like your life is just better if you're moving. And so, if we can decipher what those behaviours are, because that's the key to helping the non-mover move is teaching them behaviours because we can all tell people what exercise to do. That's not hard. You know, it, it's what are the behaviours, the mindsets, the strategies. If we can give those to everyday people, we can get more people moving, which means our community now will safer and healthier. So that's kind of – that's my thinking behind it. And with – there's a lot that we'll unpack there, but yeah. there's obviously some – fundamental key tools that help people before we talk about that actually i wanted to ask you when you say movement what does movement mean to you when you're working with people i I try to keep it really simple 
you know, one of the things that really I find frustrating, there's lots of things I find frustrating about my industry. One, the selling of image is the key for fitness. I find that really frustrating because it, it really diminishes what fitness can bring to people's lives. You know, fitness, sure, it's nice to look good. And and I've lived a life where I've had the value of looking good from fitness and I do get some esteem from that, but it's a minor part of such a massive thing. So I find those types of things frustrating. Exercise brings character, it brings friendships, it brings life experience, it brings the ability to be able to do more with your life it brings you know image it brings so much and so I find that frustrating but one of the other things I find frustrating is when people try to say one exercise is better than the other you know you get competition of exercise like CrossFit is better than running and, and you see people put photos of themselves in CrossFit and saying you know look at us we're beautiful and the runners skinny and, and and there's a bit of this kind of we're better than you and lots of areas of fitness it's not you know this isn't just CrossFit it's kind of lots of areas of fitness have this kind of the other side's the enemy. And it's like, we, we, if, we, if that's our argument, we're, we're all idiots. Like, we're ruining it for ourselves because just moving is the key. And the, one of the key things I learned early on is there's no one best movement. The best movement is the movement you enjoy doing. And for you, that might be dance class. It might be doing a Zumba class. And that could be the best way. And you absolutely love Zumba. And for me, it might be getting in the weights room and throwing some, you know, some weight around. Who cares? The movement is the key. And so when you just say, when you use the term movement, it allows people to be more open to the idea of having movement. Whereas if I say the key to you being fit and healthy is you have to run or you have to do this, well, if you go and try running, you hate running. And, and let's be honest, running is, I often talk about what's the easiest drug to sell with the exercise. And, and one of the easiest drugs is like a spin class because the spin class is very technically basic. It's a very movement that you can control the exercise so you can control intensity. Running is quite a hard drug to sell. So most people, if they try running, they're going to find it pretty hard. And so when I when I think about it, my job is to open people up to the possibility of exercise. And if I define exercise as a certain movement or one movement is the best, I'm limiting the ability I can have. When I say movement, that can mean anything. And that's why I kind of talk of it that way. I like that. And in the wellness programs that I run, I talk about movement is medicine. And, yeah. you know, I come from a background of high performance sport but I I'd actually don't care to make people athletes I care to teach them about the importance of even let's get you moving cross-body movements left and right brain working together because we know the hormonal response there so some easy but small challenges of moving cross-body different planes of and patterns because I'm not just looking at a weight loss I'm looking at a, a human as a whole yeah and it's really interesting like I know like I, I've got this group, a 5K group, and we've been really successful in helping beginner exercises. And one of the things I found myself getting frustrated with as a coach is I did that thing of I thought what I wanted is what everyone wants, which is often a real problem with a coach is that, you know, you what you value, you think everyone else wants that. And a good example of this, when I exercise, I love destroying myself. Like I love just hard, intense exercise. And I know that with my beginners, we don't give them that. We kind of develop people towards a period of being able to – work hard at exercise and, and it's not that they're not working hard it is hard for them when they start but you know what I consider an intense workout and so like if we get somebody who's a total beginner it's probably going to be three or four months before we even introduce intensity you know like it's it's going to be a long time before we actually get them well we ask them to work harder you know really in that first period we're guiding them if anything we're, we're teaching them intensity management and we're kind of being on the side of cautious with that as well. So we're really trying to keep them in a really safe range where they kind of can't fail. And then as we develop them, 
we get to the point where maybe three or four months into their four or five months into their journey, we start to kind of say, okay, let's try to push a little bit harder now. And then, you know, maybe six months to eight months, we kind of say, I expect you to work a little bit harder now. And you're kind of the journey of the kind of how you mentor them through their progress. And sometimes you get people at 10 months and they don't want the intensity. And you get people who are there and are talking with their friends and you think, yourself, far out and you get nothing out of this. And then I realize that for them, exercise is actually about social. And you know what? They're moving. And if social is the reason they exercise, who am I to judge? You know, like as long as they're getting, as long as they're moving, that's healthy in their life, it's a really good way for them to be social. This person probably never wants to push themselves hard. And I could argue there's value in that, but you know what? It's better than not doing anything. And so to understand the why people are exercising is also really important as well. Yeah, exactly right. And then if you look at, health a little bit more holistically and if that person is just doing a bit of movement but getting things socially connected then how good is that for the soul and then if they're making the right food choices then you know often we don't have to push ourselves actually we don't have to push ourselves hard as humans if we're making the right choices around around healthy eating and the the seven key areas of life and really nourishing ourselves from all aspects well and that's the thing i love about Exercise, You know, like one of my concerns in, in society is that the way we socialize is eating and drinking. You know, like how do we tend to socialize? We tend to either go out for dinner or have functions or we tend to get pissed. You know, and while there's nothing wrong with that, I'm not frowning upon that. I just think we need to be creating communities that aren't about that. And, you know, I'm not a religious person. Um, I, I, you know, I don't really wasn't brought up for religion. And it's not really a part of who I am. But one of the downfalls of the loss of religion in society, like in New Zealand, religion really doesn't have much of an influence nowadays in comparison to what it did in the past. The religion was very great at community. Um, you know, the church was a pivotal part of a community and the people in the church understood that our role was to look after our community. And in society in the modern times, that's one of the things we've lost. And and also sport used to be a part of that. Like in New Zealand in the 80s, sports clubs were a thriving thing. And I actually read an article recently saying how running clubs in New Zealand are really dying. And it's interesting because I've got a paid running business and we're booming, but running clubs are dying. And one of the reasons that is is that people are now time poor. So in the 80s or in earlier times, you kind of did your 40 hours and that's all you did. And then, you know, you you had a hobby and you had a community. You might have been in a running club. And the kind of deal with the running club was, you know what, I'm going to take from this club, but I'm also going to give. You know, so there might be the weekend where you've got to be the marshal on the thing, or you might have been on the committee, or you might have done the kids' program, whatever. But what's happened in, in life in the more modern times is we became all become so time poor. And so in being time poor, we don't have the commitment to give to things like clubs. And so the club is dying And what's replacing that in society around community? And that's why I believe fitness has an important role to play in the community is that fitness is one of the great areas where we can kind of do some of the work that the church was doing to build a group of people that has a culture that we're here to make each other's lives better. And we're using sport as a way to do it. So my running group, one of the things I'm most proudest of my running group is that we have these values and this culture that we want to promote and people join our running group and they pretty much instantly become that person. Like to me, great culture means when I'm in this world, I act a certain way. 
You know, that's what a great culture has. A great culture is it kind of subconsciously tells you how to behave. And when you're in that world, you behave that way. And with my running business, that's one of the things I'm most proudest of is that our runners just get that and they make each other's lives better. And through that, through sport and through movement, we're creating a church like, like I'm no way a priest, but we have a community of people who are making each other's lives better and they're getting healthier because they're moving through it. And to me, as uh, someone who wants to build worlds, that's when I know I'm doing my job well. I really respect your community ethos. And as you know, we just had a chat about it before. Community yeah. is a big part of my life. And, and that's what I love about on your podcast and hearing you talk. Uh, that, that That's what's the main thing for you is to create a community and within that oh. community like you just said there's values there's cultures so you bring people together and they mold in or they're not mold but they become a part of a valuable community and a yeah, valuable totally. culture and and, and and it makes everyone's life better you know like like in our group we you know, we've got we've got good run we've got very fast runners right through to very very slow runners but we don't have competition in our group now don't get me wrong i'm sure there's competition but it's never really the, the key the key is we are all here to lift each other up higher so it's even when we have competition it's that understanding that this competition is just here to make you better. So even if you lose, if you went better, that's good for you, you know. And it's just it's just these little kind of culture things that you do that have a massive impact. And and we we are, humans are need groups. Humans need you know like what's the uh, the thing I often say is what's the biggest punishment we give to people? It's so it's it's solitude confinement. It's being taken away from humans. Like we need real connection. And to me that's a big role that fitness should play in our, in our local communities. Yeah, absolutely. My, my fiance and I, we've lived in different parts of the world and around the country. And we say now that we can move anywhere and we know we'll have a good life because we understand how to find our communities. And mm. and a big part of that has been because she works for uh, Lululemon and they're really oh, yeah, good community they're really ethos. Good, yeah. Yeah. And, and we find communities like what you offer because there's running communities, there's the yoga communities, there's meditation mm-hmm. ones, there's all these communities and you go and you're around like-minded Ooh. people. That are, And the word you said there before around competition and challenge, humans need it. That's, what, yeah, that's yeah. how we get the best out of ourselves in all yeah. different areas. So it doesn't mean that we have to, like you said, it doesn't mean we have to be racing, but to create that challenge and that, that community environment of competition in some way, even if it's just competing against yourself to be that little bit better version. Well, and, and it's the perspective of competition because it's, you know, it's that kind of thing of competition is such a great thing for us as long as we understand it's about my improvement. You know, Because a lot of competition can be ego-based. So if I, w- if I don't win, I'm a loser or if I win, I'm better than you. And to me, sure, if I beat you, you know, I can kind of look at the facts and say, well, I was faster than you. But to me, it's that by competing, I'm giving myself an opportunity to find a deeper level of self. And so I respect my competitors and I and I appreciate that they're there for me to help me find a deeper version of self. And to me, that's what competition should be about. And sometimes you win and there is a nice ego high that comes with that. But I've had races where I haven't won, but I went to levels I never would have gone to, and those are some of the races I'm most proud of. And if I think about my goal was my evolution, well, that's why that's really valuable for me. Brilliant. Now, before we hear more about your journey, Bevan James Isles, welcome <laughs> to Your Life of Impact. Nice. 
Mate, I first heard about you through the abundant Team MacRx triathlon oh, community, yeah, nice. actually, yep. because I'm a mindset coach in there and I present to those guys. And one of the members actually sent me a podcast episode of yours with uh, Johan Hari. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Brilliant. He sent it yeah. to me because he listens to my podcast and he said, you've got to listen to Bevan and, yeah. and Johan. And I listened to it and it was a great episode and that's how yeah. I got introduced to you and your podcast and your community and I just really respect your value and everything that you stand for. So that's why I reached out and I thought, I want him to come on and share his value with my community. So I'm super yes. grateful for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you mentioned there before about doing some competitions because you're an athlete who you have been a very competitive athlete throughout your career of Ironmans and triathlons, is that right, and, and marathons. Yeah, yep. Was this – were you born into it? Did you grow up that way? Was your childhood going through doing sport? No. So I was I was a total loser, basically. I was a good sporty kid, but I wasn't a great athlete. So, you know, like I played rugby and I was – you know, I made, made a rep team in my time, but I was never – going to be an all black, if you know what I mean. I was never kind of put in development squads or anything like that, but I was kind of naturally an okay athlete. But I was also, I also very much failed through school. So I left school at 15 with no qualifications at all. And, and the, the joke I do when I do public speaking is that I wasn't the kid who was intelligent and didn't apply themselves. I was actually just a bit thick. And, and I really was. Like I, I couldn't spell, I couldn't read, like I couldn't spell the, like I really, I remember going to a doctor and not being able to spell was so embarrassing. And you can't fill out a form like I couldn't spell my street name and you know you go to a doctor and you've got a form and it's highly stressful and you have to go up to reception and ask for help to spell like your street name like it's it's pretty degrading and so I left school with this real sense of I am nobody and, and it really was like it was interesting I remember one night me and my friends all got drunk and because well, we kind of always did it at that time and we made this tape of we will be five years from now and and, and I, I wish I still had that tape because it, it was very much, you know, I'm just going to be more drunk and more stoned. You know, that was kind of my answer. And so I left school failing and, and I, I do have a very obsessive kind of mock kind of perspective on life. And so whatever I do, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And, you know, so we're drunk, drugs and alcohol with well, that's how I did it. It was like, I don't want to get drunk. I want to get as messy as I can get. I don't want to get stoned. I want to see how stoned you can get. So I just went down this very destructive path. And I, the longer I stayed on that path, the more I kind of lost who I was. So I became like, I stole, I did a crime. I would cheat on my partner and my lack of confidence, so I became a stutterer, like a really bad stutterer. And it was not because I didn't have the ability to speak. It was just because I had no confidence in myself. And around 19, probably more 20, I had a couple, probably three epiphany moments that really shifted my life. Yeah, and then after that moment, then I kind of grew into kind of someone who could make a difference. What were the epiphany moments at that age of 20? So there was three. So one was I went out on the drink. Now, you've got to remember, the guys I'm hanging out with were the lowest of the low. So we're going to the worst bar in town trying to pick up the kind of the worst chicks in town, and even they were rejecting us. You know, like it was kind of, you know, we were the lowest <laughs> of the low. And I remember one night we'd been on the piss, and the next day one of my friends said to me, mate, you're an embarrassment. You know, you're an embarrassment out on the piss. And, you know, Again, we're the lowest of the low, and he's saying I'm an embarrassment. So that was kind of a bit of a wake-up call. And then I remember one of my best friends at the time, a guy called Mark, we just got stoned together all the time. We were stoned 24-7. And the thing about it is when, when I was in this moment in my life is 
I didn't identify as a druggie. Like I was stoned all the time, but I didn't see myself as a druggie. I just kind of, you know, you just did it, you know. And I remember one night we were really stoned. We were in my friend Glenn Monday's backyard. And Mark just turns to me and goes, you realize we're druggies? And it really hit me. It was, it really hit me hard because I never saw myself, as much as if you looked at the evidence that I was such a druggie, I never self-identified as that. And then the, the biggest one was I basically had an LSD experience go bad. So I really loved LSD. I, I thought it was a great drug. But one night I had a drug experience where it went really wrong. And, and it's a very dangerous drug if you're in that place. And I had this moment where... I felt threatened, I felt depressed, I felt vulnerable. And, you know, you're hallucinating when you're in this place. You know, it's a very dangerous place to be. And I kind of ended up escaping that place, but I still had a long time to go into drug experience. And I went home, and I remember I just started thinking about everyone in my life. And I and I kind of had this Gandalf moment. I always talk about this Gandalf moment where I saw everyone in my life and I saw what they needed to do to improve. And I literally, I actually got, this is a while ago, I went and got a tape deck and push record on the tape deck because I wanted to tell them. I was kind of excited about the epiphanies I had for them. So, and I've spoken to this tape deck, here's what you need to do. And I was going to, in my mind, I was going to ring you all the people in my life the next day because I had the answers to their life. And after two hours of doing that, I thought, what about me? And it was the first time in my life I kind of had awareness. Yeah, and, and the next week, I, I just thought, shit, this, where am I going? What, what's this life? And the next week, I went cold turkey on drugs and alcohol. I went and got spelling lessons. With, like, I did spelling lessons sitting next to five-year-olds. Like, I've been, I've achieved At the age of calls. 20? At the age of 20, yeah. And, uh, like, I've achieved some cool things in my time, especially in fitness. The most proudest moment of my life was when I became a, a writer for my local paper. Like, a guy who couldn't spell the, you know, I became a writer. You know, I've written a book, and, you know, so, like, now, luckily for me, when you go from being the lowest of the low and also have no life skills, then when you develop yourself, the great thing about it is the sense of belief you get in yourself is absolutely massive because what you need to do is you need to overcome all the limits you had on yourself. So, for example, I thought I could only be creative on the guitar if I was stoned. I thought I could only pick up a girl or dance if I was drunk. So suddenly when you remove those things from your life, you've got to go out to a nightclub and you got to dance sober and you get up and you're a bit shit scared at first and then you dance and you realize this is fun. And so suddenly you overcome all the limits, but the real benefit of that is you gain belief. And so the more limits you overcome, the more you develop yourself, the more the belief and possibility and opportunities present themselves. So as much as I was a real dropkick, once I got on the different kind of pathway, it was I, I like I never look back and go, oh, I wish I had that life. You know, it was very easy for me to move forward. So you, at the age of 20, you had those epiphanies and you went cold turkey. And yeah. so you've been cold turkey from drugs and alcohol since that age. Yeah. Yep. How old are you now? Uh, 40. Wow. But, so I don't, but I don't miss it. Like, it's not like I ever go, oh, my God, I wish I had this, you know, because I have a great life. You know, like I, I love my life. I have a life which is full of, you know, I, I've learned how to live a great life. And, um, and I know how to kind of duplicate that and evolve that. So it's there's no longing for that because – actually, one thing that happened which really helped is I used to grow my own drugs because it was cheaper. And I remember after I'd given up, a batch came in about six months later. And the, the guy who I kind of originally was growing them with, I kind of let go of it. But one thing you when you try to give up a life is everyone who – it's quite hard for those around you. So one thing I had to do is lose all my friends. And not because I didn't like them, but – 
by you giving up is too confrontational for them. So for me to give up drugs and alcohol, all my mates were like, oh, mate, there was two things happened. One, they were kind of like, mate, I wish I could do what you're doing. And then the other thing was, oh, come back and get stoned with me because they needed you to do what they were doing to justify what their life. And so you often found people trying to like, I gave up at 20, I think, and everyone was really looking forward to me to get drunk on my 21st because they were hoping that in some ways it would bring me back. And it, was, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't that they were pricks. It was just it helped them accept themselves. But we'd grown a stope. And then about six months later, it came in. And I did get stoned with him because I thought I was in my batch and I got stoned. And it was really good because it was just, it was actually quite hard because for him, I was just kind of proud of my life. So even when I'm stoned, I'm just talking about how great my life is. And also, it just had nothing to offer for me. Like, there was there was nothing there. Like, it was, if anything, it was a good thing to do because I was like, oh, there really is no value in this for me anymore. And so if there was any longing, it would probably disappeared in that moment. How much of that experience comes into your coaching now when you see people? So maybe they haven't had experience with drug and alcohol addiction or uh, anything like that, but how much of that, that belief instillment comes out in your coaching? So, so the one thing I believe, so if we, if we look at a total beginner runner, so like if we look at Get Up to Five, so our Get Up to Five, which is a team training product, it's a community-based running product that gets people from running nothing, going from nothing to 5Ks. And we, our target market is females 30 to 55 who probably haven't exercised in a long time, have a history and a story and a vulnerability around exercise. And the thing I often say is it's a real story. It's not just, hey, I'm insecure. It's stuff tried and failed many times. Um, and so... Our real job is to build their belief. You know, our real job is to build their belief. Like we know we're successful when they turn to us and they say, I see other runners and I think I'm a runner. You've shifted their identity. And so then you go, well, how do you build belief? And one of the things I find frustrating around some of the messages nowadays is that belief is sold as this blind thing that should just appear. You know, if I believe it, it will come. Well, it's kind of crap. That's not true. You know, like if you believe you can be a CEO tomorrow, it ain't going to happen. You know, like what we need to do is we need to build evidence of an ability that opens up to the next step of our development. So belief comes. So like, you know, if you'd asked me when I first started spelling lessons, would I do I think I could be a writer? There's no way I would have thought that. But I started doing spelling lessons. And then I remember someone said to me, if you want to write, you should write it every day. So I started writing a journal. So I just, every, and even to this day, I still write a journal every day. And so over time, I developed my belief in my writing skills. And then, you know, eventually I started writing just some things for my business. And then eventually, you know, I started developing this side. So what we do for a runner is the first thing we've got to do is find what I call a start point. And for a beginning exerciser, what we look at is what's their start point. And the start point is, and this is a really important moment, because what we've got to look at is we've got to look at what can we get them to be willing to try that we can guarantee they'll win. So what can we get them to be get them to try that they guarantee they'll win? So with our 5K program, we've, we've, the first session is really important because I've got to look at the first session and go, I'll give it a try. Now, what a lot of most fitness professionals do is they they program way too hard for people's ability. So they turn up to the first session and they fail. And it just reinforces their history of failure and exercise. So what we what when I've designed my program is okay, what's that start point? What's that thing that they'll be willing to try? And also they're gonna come along and they're gonna win. So we determine that for a beginner who's done nothing for 20 years, mid-40s, overweight. It was kind of like three and a half minutes of walking followed by 30 seconds of what we call stupidly slow running. 
Like we, we go to our people, you, we don't go fast. And we often in the first period, we train them to go slower. So we say stupidly, and we train them around this kind of idea of stupidly slow running. Now, the reason that's important is they're giving us an opportunity. They're giving us one opportunity. And these people are coming in looking to fail. It's the person who walks into the gym going, everyone else is fatter, everyone else is fit, everyone, you know, I'm going to fail. They're looking to fail. So they're giving us one opportunity. They come along to that session and we guide, we nurture them, and they win. And what happens in that moment is they walk away and they think, far out, I did it. Now, they're still not there. We haven't built belief. But then what happens is they go, well, maybe I'll try the second session. So then what we do is they come along the second session and we just build another win. And what happens is then we think about how we stretch them. So, okay, we've, we've, they've, they've given us an opportunity to try and we've built them some wins. So now they're starting to trust us. Then what we're doing is we're then going to go, how do we make sure we stretch them so that we keep building wins? And a good example from my life, I remember this is a good lesson from my life. When I was when I was doing Ironman, I had this, when I was doing Ironman, I had a, a guy from Ireland who came and stayed with me for a little bit. And uh, he was this guy, like I was young and flatting with these 20 year olds. And this guy was in his 50s. So it was kind of an odd mix of person to be in the house. And I played guitar and he, I could tell he really liked that I played guitar. And so one day I said to him, because he wasn't, he was only training. So he had lots of spare time. I said, why, why don't I teach you guitar when you're singing with us? He said, okay. So I taught him a couple of songs and they're real intro level songs. And then I got really excited and I taught him a song that was actually well above his level. And he ended up quitting. And it made me realize oh, I cocked up. I, I did a disservice to him because I got excited about his growth and I didn't think about creating more wins. So when you've created those first wins, you've got to think about how do you stretch them at the right level that allows them to create more wins. And really what you're doing is you're, you're navigating their journey and you're guiding them. So you're also teaching them lots of mind tools and all these strategies that allow them to be successful along the way. But ultimately, you're just trying to build wins. And eventually what happens is belief comes. Because six or seven weeks into the program, they think, shit, I can run 5Ks. And you've built their belief. And then what they do, once they run 5Ks, we build them up to 10Ks. And then we build them up to a half marathon. And ultimately, we get them to the point where they believe they can have exercise. They believe they're an exercise. And that belief is built on evidence of success built on top of itself. And that's where belief comes from. When when you look at that too, and, and within said there before about community, so mm-hmm. – do you only build community around your run clubs or is there other ways, and we talked about movement before and movement is medicine in that aspect, is there other ways that you build your community around movement and fitness? Well, I work in a gym and we do it through a gym. I, my kind of life's mission as I move into the next stage in my life is to actually do more of this work for, I love this idea of a Robin Hood product. So a school-based community fitness product where wealthier areas would pay for it at a reasonable price, which would then pay for poor areas. So that's kind of what I want to do with my career in the next stage of my career. But the community aspect is really important. So one thing we try, the key to a successful for our runners, so the programming is really important and that belief aspect is really important, but the number one key is community. So when we have seminars, we ask our runners when they've ran 5Ks, what was the number one key to your success? And it's always the people in the group I was with. And so w- with that, we train our coaches how do you build friendships. We do lots of things to manipulate our, or not manipulate, but kind of nudge, you know, that kind of term nudge, to nudge friendships. So like, for example, one thing we do is in our introduction seminar, 
we do this thing where we tell them they're doing a fitness test. And we tell them they're doing a fitness test because, you know, you can measure your fitness at the start and halfway through the journey at the end, you can see that you've progressed. And there's some truth to it, but it's kind of bullcrap, really. The reason we're doing it is at the end of the fitness test, we know the different abilities of the people in the group. Then we also know that, let's say you're doing the morning group and your mate John's, you know, John's doing the morning group and he's in the group as well. Then what we do after the fitness test in the seminar, we do all this team building stuff. But what we do is we match you with the people you're going to be ending up running with. You don't know this, but we match you with these people. So then we do some team building stuff. We do some social sharing. We do some planning. We build a friendship in that first seminar. Then you come along to our first session. You do you, you go out and you walk around and suddenly John's right next to you and we're deepening those bonds. Because we know that if you create a friendship around fitness, the chance of you achieving the goal goes up 100. So our job is, like I see my job as a fitness professional, sure, it's about getting people moving. It's actually about building friendships. And so what are the things we can do in our world to build friendships? And if we can do that, there's a much higher chance you're going to have fitness in your life. That's brilliant. Like I said before, I really respect that community aspect. I just want to go back and revisit what you said there about the, the Robin Hood approach and mm. having the, the more well-off people being able to pay and so the poorer communities can access it as well. Is it because you live in New Zealand and yeah. is that something that is quite evident to you that there's a huge gap there? Is is there a lot of poorer communities that just aren't – is it affordability? Is it education? What is it that makes those gaps bigger? I, I think one of the problems as my industry as a whole is the m- – the industry is going towards the wealth at the top. Like I, I, this isn't a New Zealand thing that I read, but I was reading a, a, a report in America. You know, have you heard of Equinox? Yes. Yeah, so Equinox, for those who don't know, is, is, is a gym chain in America. And it's very much, it's very much you're a better person if you come to our gym. Um, it's very much marketed that way. You pay a premium to be at that gym. It's a, it's a very great service. And that's kind of where the money in the industry is now, is, you know, that top end product. So what's happening with our, and and they're saying in this report that the YMCA's, the local gyms, are disappearing. And also in America, now this isn't necessarily a New Zealand problem, but also local parks are starting to disappear because developers don't want to put so many parks in. So there's this kind of, there's a divide in fitness. And one of the concerns moving forward in, in the future that I'm concerned about is that fitness just becomes a wealthy person's thing. You know, that those those who are affluent enough to be able to afford fitness in their life will. And, and you see it right now, like like an F45, it's a great product, but 80 bucks a week is a lot of people, put, you know, for someone to drop on fitness. And then the resources and the, the focus of our industry is going towards that person. At the same time, those who are trying to help the bottom end of the market just can't stay in the market, so they end up disappearing. So who's going to service that person? And if my role, if my job is to get more people moving, I need to create products that can help that happen. Now, to be honest, my running product is very much kind of the product that I'm critical of right now. People have to pay for my product, and and we are a premium product. But what I want to do as I move into this next moment is to then shift my energy towards that. And that's why that Robin Hood product is that Because what often when you get products that are designed for the lower decile of the market, it's, it's a bit shit, and they don't get great people because great people need to make money. So what I want to do is I want to have a great product where I can pay Christchurch's top fitness professionals to go into our less poorer parts of town and put on kick-ass fitness, you know, and do it in a way that builds. And and the design of it would be about building community. It would be around, you know, sure, movement's a part of it, but how do you actually build um, inclusiveness, community, 
um, you know, all those great values that can come with fitness, you know, and but also pay that person a really good wage so that it's, you know, they feel valued for their time, not going to those people saying, oh, can you give an hour of your time because it's good for charity? It's like, no, this is a great job. You're having great impact. And that's what, you know, that's how I want to do it. So, and you mentioned evolution there before and going down this path is, do you think about leaving a legacy? Is that what takes you on these kind of journeys? No, not really. And it's not like, I know you talk about values a lot and I, I think the same, like, you know, like, to me, my evolution should be deeper understanding my values and my passions, you know. So for me, my values are like growth, love, freedom, honesty, fun, health, you know, these types of things. And so for me, my and my passions are fitness people and music. Those are my three passions in life. And so for me, it's I, I my evolution is about gaining deeper understanding of my values and I use my passions to create that. So my passions are people, fitness and music. Well, why wouldn't that? That's obviously community, isn't it? And then if I can evolve myself, so if I can learn deeper growth, you know, well, that's going to have a big impact. So for me, it's not so much about if the, the, it's not so much about legacy. It's more just about my evolution, I suppose. And I'm sure I will leave a legacy and it's quite nice. And I'm sure at one moment in my life, that might be a really thing that I'll appreciate, but it's not the driver as such. Well, that's interesting too because I think uh, when you look at pushers and pullers and, and I know you and you and I spoke about it just recently about alignment and you talk about that a lot and I feel like values is living in alignment and that's kind of a, a pusher but then a puller is something that we see towards later on in our life so legacy can be that way and yeah. people people respond to and are driven or pulled or pushed by different things because we're yeah. all fueled differently from the soul so yeah it makes sense that you're you're aligned and it's more a values-based drive as opposed yeah. to a legacy pull well i love the idea of wisdom you know one of the things you hear me talk about a lot is this kind of the frustration of the chasing of youth in the modern times is that you know we're so afraid to get old you know and we're clinging on to youth and 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 the funny thing is youth youth's overrated the only thing that's good about youth is you look good you know when you're young but the rest of it you're just confused and lost and so <laughs> and wisdom should be the goal and the great thing is age is wisdom as long as you try to evolve and so i'd love to think you know like me 10 years from now should have a deeper should, like, should know growth to a higher level should know love to a higher level like how exciting is that so it's not being fearful of age it's actually like wow what will age give me and and you know ideally if, as long as i keep trying to evolve how exciting is my future as, as i get old i completely agree when i turned 30 and everyone's saying oh it's all downhill from here you're kidding me. I would bring yeah. on the older age because every day I'm learning more and I think I actually know how to be better. I know how to be healthier. Yeah. I know how to think differently. Bring Ugh. on. I, I always say I'll live till I'm 110. I'll be running when I'm 110. So yeah. it's because. But, I but imagine, imagine if you continue on this journey, what 20 years is like. Like we can't really understand. Like ultimately, learning deeper understanding of our values is kind of evolution, isn't it? And so, like I have pretty great. I have a pretty great life right now. What if I had 10 years of trying to go deeper into that, you know, and, and that's why setting up challenges like trying to create a business like that, even on a personal level, my sporting challenges or my creative challenge, you know, it's all just trying to get to a deeper level. Now, I heard you talking uh, on a podcast recently about presenting at a peg talk to some doctors. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. What what was what were you presenting on, and then what was the response like from? Was it a room full of general practitioners and doctors? Yeah. And interested to know when you're talking about fitness and fitness behaviours, and where the doctors' mindsets are around that, and the movement aspect of quality of life. 
So, so one thing was, I was, it was, it was, a, it went really well, which is great. But it was really interesting talking to the guy who was organising because he was basically saying GPs don't feel appreciated because they're almost always undervalued because if someone has a problem, they want to go to a specialist, and then the specialist kind of looked down on GPs. And so it was quite an interesting insight which I would have never known. And so they put together this TED talk, which is kind of like a TED talk basically, and they just got some thinkers from different areas, so fitness, and they got someone from physical violence, they got someone who written a book about her dad who had bad mental health, or, and he was a doctor. So it was kind of a cool night. And my message was very much around, you know, because I guarantee that doctors recommend movement every day of their life. I guarantee it, you know. And we look, you watch the news pretty much every week. There's, there's a new report saying that if you move, it's better than some drug. We're like, no. Ultimately, my message was my concern with doctors is that they prescribe exercise, but they don't teach the how. So they just tell people what they should be doing, but they're not teaching the how. So I, I actually talked about that community stuff. I did a talk that talked about how my my runners taught me the most important thing is, is community and social. And so how our job is to build that. And I, my message to them was, as a group of people who are trying to influence health, the thing that we need to be discuss, discussing is how do we guide people around the hows of exercise, not the what, because the what's easy. You know, go for a 30 minute walk, do so much cardio, do so much strength, that's easy. But it's not it's the hows we need to teach people, and so and they were they were great. Oh, yeah, they were really open to it. It was great. Doctors, they go into because they want to make a difference. I think they get bogged down by bureaucracy and and how hard their job is, but ultimately they fundamentally want to make a difference. And uh, so you know they were open to what I had to offer. Well, I think even just by creating that ped talk and having people like you in there, that that shows their openness yeah. towards it. So that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've got a few questions that I ask all my guests and Go for it. it used to be the advice question, but it's now actually- <laughs> You've changed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've changed it. So I don't mind giving advice, so I don't mind. So <laughs> well, I'll ask you in, in the new way and see what comes to mind, but what do you believe is helpful action for people to take to be more impactful in their lives and in their communities? Some kind of awareness tool. I, I fundamentally believe awareness is the key to any change. You know, and, and unfortunately for most people, awareness comes at the bad moment. So they just go down, down in life and they get to a moment where they, you know, for me, it was that drug trip. You know, it was my, it was my friends saying you're a druggie. There was just awareness moments. Um, and a lot of people just don't have great awareness tools. And so they just slowly, you know, it's the person who loses, they go on a diet, they lose the weight and six months later, they're back to where they are. And, you know, it's that, what, a, what someone who, seems to have an ongoing – like I love the idea of that, that person who's just got it together and you know they're going to have to get it forever. I guarantee they've got great awareness tools. And the person who has great awareness tools never slips because they see the slip early, you know. And so like I have really good awareness tools and there's moments in my life where I fall off the wagon a little bit, but I catch it in day two. I don't catch it in day 180. And so to me, that's that's – you need great awareness tools brilliant yeah and that's awareness of like i teach around even your thought processes your emotional yeah. conditions it's it's every every minute of every day just being aware of where you're at all right two-part question here where can we learn more about you so social media website anything like that and how can i and the listeners help you on your journey Oh, well, I've got a bevanjamesisles.com is my website. I kind of don't do much blogging recently, but I've got a podcast, The Bevan James Isles Show. And it's, you know, it's very much like you're doing here. We're obviously very passionate about the same thing. So I probably have a bit more of just a focus just on fitness, although it kind of goes all where, you know, it goes anywhere. That's really good. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, oh, I don't really do Twitter, but I am on there. Yeah, just, just email me, you know, like I'm always into helping people. Yeah. And then how can you help me? Well, if you want to spread the word about what I'm doing, that's really cool. But ultimately, you just aim to be a good person in someone's life. You know, that's it's not that hard. 
Brilliant. That's a, that's advice there. I feel like. <laughs> so Bevan, one of my top core values is giving and I give all my guests a gift for coming onto the podcast and giving their time and value. So for you, I'm actually going to send you a floss band, one of my life floss bands. Have you heard of the floss bands? I think I have. What, tell me about it. Floss bands so, is the one you wrap around, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're basically compression-based yeah. technology and they work to increase range okay. of motion and decrease pain and there's a yep. lot of uh, different reasons why that works for the occlusion effect or what it does to the fascial system, different things like that. So okay. I, I know that you're a runner and they're not just for runners, they work for everyone, but I thought it could be a cool little tool that you pull out in your community as well. So I'm going to send you one of those. Well, thank, you, thank you very much. You're very My generous. pleasure. And also, knowing that you're a human behavior junkie like I am, I'm also giving you a place into uh, the Next Mental Strength Training online program that I'm running. Oh, okay, too. great. I'd love to see what you're doing. Yeah, because yeah, I, I feel yeah. like you're already on top of a lot of this sort of stuff. You have a lot of the tools and uh, the strategies in place, but I thought I know what it's like even if there's one thing that you learn from, from hey, doing mate, a different thing. You so. never think you know it all. Never think you know it all. That's totally, it. yeah. I, I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Great. Better never stops, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners or anything you would like to ask me? The only thing I'll say to the listeners is I know I'm having an impact when people tell me they're being themselves. And, and, you know, I know that's kind of what your message is as well. And so just keep aim to be yourself. You know, like, you know, my greatest moment is when someone goes to me, Bev, I'm just being myself. And I, I like, man, whatever we've done is worked because that's what it's all about. So just aim to be yourself. You know, that's all you need to do in life. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, mate. You're a bloody rock star. And I love the impact you're having on your community. It's really great. Bevan, you're a legend. You're positive living proof that our pasts don't predict our futures. It's mm. our actions and our mindsets that do. So keep shining your community spirited light to the world, my man. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome, mate. You rock. There he is. What a champion. Very authentic approach to coaching and living. What a great way to shift a shitty life into an impactful life. There's so many great perspectives that we can all take from Bevan that aren't just related to movement and fitness. Make sure you check him out at bevanjamesisles.com. And you can find the links to his podcast, books, social media, and other info on there on his website. I'll link that up in the show notes of this episode, which you can find on your podcast player or at yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash Bevan James Isles. And please share this episode with anyone that you believe will gain value from it. Don't forget, if you're keen to learn habits, tools, and strategies to optimize your life, Jump onto yourlifeofimpact.com and see what's available with the coaching options and our events. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.